Hello, hello. Set this guy over here. So if you're using the red mic, just to the right. <clears throat> Good morning, guys. I'm Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, so privileged to be able to get up and speak you to you this morning. I, I feel like sometimes when I speak, uh, somebody asked me if I was nervous to get up. I'm not so nervous to get up in front of people as much as I am to like come and deliver you the wrong message. So like that's my heart is I just want you to hear what God is speaking through His Word. Um, and like this is a this is a passage or at least part of this passage. Pretty much everyone in here, I'm sure has heard in some way, shape, or form. The truth will set you free. How many of you guys have heard that, even in a context outside of the Bible? The truth will set you free, right? Uh, it's crazy. Uh, we were eating at a restaurant yesterday uh, in Sandy, I think it was, and it just popped up on like the end of a movie, like the truth will set you free, but it had nothing to do with what Jesus just spoke of. I feel like all of us are in a, a quest to pursue freedom, right? We want freedom. We want truth. Like, we want to know what the truth is. Like, if someone were to tell me, like, two plus two it just does not equal four, like, it's going to hurt because I'm going to be confused and, and I'm going to realize, man, there's, there's no truth that I can cling to. There's no objective truth. You and I are on a hunt for truth. Like, we want to know what's true. We want to know what's false. Sometimes our freedom is a pursuit. We're like, man, if I can just know more, there's this educational freedom, right? If I could just know more, get more in, in my head, I can be free. I can know more and be set free. I want to be free financially, right? I want to be free in my, my budget. I want to be free from pain, hurt. Maybe I can cut myself off from the world. Or maybe I want to look inward and just have this uh, meditation inwardly that I can... I can let loose and be free from all pain as long as I can think hard enough or meditate hard enough. I can be free. I can free myself. I can do things for myself to make me free in my pursuit of truth. Whatever is true for me will set me free. That's not the freedom that Jesus is talking about. And we're going we're gonna to look at that today. So where we're going to be headed, there's a I had uh, these guys who were gracious enough to put some things on the slide for me. Um, I'm going to try to stick to that. So if I don't, bear with me. Listen closely. Um, <clears throat> because there's four things that I want to walk you through in this text. And those four things are the danger. And also, by the way, last time, if you remember, I was um, able to, to preach. I got down on the floor. I was going to, like, come down to you guys this time, put my hand on your shoulder, no, I wasn't going to do that. <clears throat> but they told me to stay up here. So, um, yeah, so you, you don't have to worry about me coming out to you this time. Um, but the four things that I want you to see in this passage, the danger of false faith, the evidence of true belief, the condition of true belief, and the promise of true belief. And so the way I'm going to do that is I'm, I'm going to, kind of use this passage as a platform to look at a bunch of other scriptures. Um, <clears throat> I try not to go crazy with a lot of passages, but honestly, man, I can't help it. I think uh, Kristen told me, like, just, just cut it off. 
when I was studying for this passage, like, just cut it off, because if I keep studying, I'm just going to keep adding stuff. Uh, I think if I studied this one passage for a year, I would never get to the end of it. I'm just going to be like, oh, man, there's more, right? But what I'm going to do is look through some different scriptures. I'm going to take you through a lot. So I want you to listen good and, like, listen heavy, right? Soak it up. If you need to write down these passages to take home later, please do. But I'm going to do very much like, uh, you you guys know who uh, Philip is in the Bible? It's like Acts chapter 7, I think. Uh, Philip was told by a guy to go to a eunuch who was looking in a passage of Isaiah. And the guy was like, how am I supposed to understand this unless somebody comes alongside me? And Philip's like, I'm that guy. And so like he starts from this passage that the guy was looking at, and, and then he begins to to unfold to him everything about who Jesus is. So what I'm going to do is start from this passage in John. We're going to look at at a bunch of other passages to to come alongside it. Um, You guys ready? Let's let's eat it up. All right. Um, So the the first portion, the danger of false belief or the danger of false faith. I think this is huge, especially in a crowd like this. I think about crowds that Jesus spoke to or crowds that the Apostle Paul spoke to. I mean, given there probably were genuine believers, but there was no doubt in the crowd people who did not believe, or at least least they partially believed in some way, or some people who just outright were hostile toward Jesus, okay? If that was the case for them, for Jesus, to a crowd that he was speaking to, I have to have no doubt, like, in this space, there's going to be someone this morning who is struggling to believe, or they choose not to believe, or there could be a danger of of false belief. Uh, If you guys are looking at your Bible, cool, if not, bust it out, John chapter 8, or or I'm not sure if it's going to be up here too, but in verse 30, before we get to the portion that... uh, we're going to look at specifically, it says, as Jesus was saying these things, many believed in him. And then verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who believed him. All right, so he's speaking to these guys specifically who believed him. Um, And you would think, man, like, when you hear that people believe in Jesus, the first thing I want to do is rejoice, right? I'm like, yes, people believe that's awesome, right? You guys with me? If you're like, man, people believe, people repent, there's rejoicing in heaven. But there's something that's going to happen in this passage. You're like, wait a minute, I thought it said they believed. And once we go on in the story, this full conversation, you're going to realize like, oh, these people didn't really fully believe. Now, I don't want to shake you up this morning and be like, ah, shoot, man, you're messing with my confidence of my salvation. I'm not trying to do that, but I'm not going to steer away from the truth of the passage either. I don't want to tell you this morning that, like, partial belief belief in itself is a bad thing. For instance, uh, there was a guy in, I think it was Mark chapter 8 or 9, there was a a demon-possessed son whose father came up to Jesus, and he was like, Jesus... If you can heal him, like, please do it. And Jesus was like, if I can. Anyone who believes, uh, any, anything is possible for those who believe. And the guy was like, I believe. Help my unbelief. 
So like there's a partial belief sometimes like when somebody comes to Jesus, like, like this father, he's like, man, I believe, but like if there's some sort of unbelief in me, I want to be sold out. I want you to take that unbelief and turn me to you. So I love that about this father. He's like, I do believe. Is there some unbelief in me? Like make it yours. I want to be all in. And I love that. That's not what's happening with these Jews right here who believe. They believe some things about what Jesus was saying, but that's it. There's a danger in a false belief and only a partial belief. <clears throat> You've heard us say this a lot about John. So we've been walking through uh, the Gospel of John for I can't even remember when we started, but uh, we'll be on a long journey through the Gospel of John, this book, and I love it. At the end of John, you've heard us say this a lot, uh, John says, the reason why I wrote this book was so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have faith in his name, right? So the whole book, the whole premise of the book is like, believe in Jesus, and so when you see somebody like this, it's like, man, many believed in him, the Jews believed, you're like, that's awesome. Yes. <clears throat> People would believe in Jesus for all kinds of reasons in this book. People would believe in Jesus because of the signs that they saw him do or some things that they heard him say. Uh, you guys remember we studied John 6 a little, well, not crazy long ago, but Jesus fed the, fi the 5,000 with uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. People started following Jesus. You know why they followed him? They wanted some more bread. If I follow Jesus, that's a good thing. I can eat. <clears throat> People believed because they saw stuff or they heard some things, but they weren't fully in. They weren't fully committed. There were some people who were familiar with the scriptures, but unwilling to surrender to the Messiah of whom the scriptures pointed to. Jesus called him out on that. He's like, man, you're so familiar with the scriptures the Old Testament at this time, he's like, you know it. You can probably quote it, but like, you don't know the one that those scriptures are pointing to. So there is a danger of false belief. Here's some examples. Uh, John chapter 2, I think I have some of these on there. Um, now, when he was in Jerusalem, this was Jesus, at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness about man. He knew himself what was in man. These people who started believe because of a sign, Jesus knew what was in their heart. He didn't entrust himself to them. Some saw and believed, even in this, uh, this context of John chapter eight, this is happening at the Feast of Booths. If you've heard Justin preach from, from this already, this is a festival that has been happening for like a week-long festival. It's a longer conversation that's already taken place. Uh, John chapter 7, verse 31. <clears throat> uh, let's see. It says, many people believed in him. And here's what they said. When the Christ, when the Messiah appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? So they're looking at it. They're like, oh, man. I believe because of what I see, like, when the Messiah comes, surely he's not going to do more than this man. Some heard what Jesus was saying and they believed. We saw that in verse 30. 
as he was saying these things, and uh, we're going to get to that, he was talking about being sent. They believed. But here's what's crazy. I think I have James 2.19 up here. Did you know that demons have both heard and seen? But they don't believe, at least not true saving faith. It says, you believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. That's crazy. The, the demons don't believe <laughs> that God is real. The demons don't, I'm sorry, they don't doubt that Jesus is the son of God. Um, in Matthew chapter 8, uh, Jesus was coming up to these guys possessed by demons the demons cried out. It says, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? I just say that as a recognition because like these demons knew that Jesus is the son of God. Remember, that's John's whole, the premise of the book. We want you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. The demons knew without a doubt, you are the son of God. They're like bowing down, like don't torment us before our time. They knew but they're not saved. James spoke about the possibility of having faith, but that faith being dead and empty. He said faith without works is dead. So there's some evidence if we truly believe that Jesus is who he says he is and like we're committed, we're in, and surrender, then there's evidence of that. <clears throat> um. Did you know that Paul, I think I have this one too, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. I have that one up there. Yeah. Why would Paul say something like this if there's not a uh, danger of false belief? Examine yourselves, Corinthians, to see, um, to see whether you're, you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Again, man, when I say these things, like, man, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm not trying to, like, throw shade at you. I want this to be encouraging you, to you. You know why? I want you to have life. I want you to be in the truth. I most certainly want you to be in the, the freedom that Jesus Christ provides, right? That's our hope. That's why we speak this week in and week out. We're like, man, turn to Jesus. Let's turn to Jesus together, right? <clears throat> what about Judas? You guys remember Judas? Walk with Jesus during his earthly ministry? Walk with Jesus during his earthly ministry? <laughs> and then they come to the, the end, almost toward Christ's crucifixion. They're having the last supper together, of which Judas is a part. He's at the table, all right? One of Jesus' very own disciples who walked with him for three years Reclining at the table with his disciples, Jesus knew he was to betray him and said to his disciples, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. I had a tough part when I was like jotting this down. I'm like, man, presenting this to people. I don't want to like uh, put you in a place of doubt because <laughs> this next thing I'm going to say, it's like, oh, dude, are you trying to make me doubt my faith? Like, is that what you're trying to do? Did you know that all the disciples who were sitting around that table at the Last Supper, when Jesus says, one of you are going to betray me, did you realize that everybody pointed to Judas? Everybody pointed to Judas? They didn't. 
You know what they said? Is it me? Is it, are you talking about me, Lord? <laughs> they, all, they all said the same thing. And they were walking with him during his earthly ministry. They didn't even know it was Judas. They thought it, it could have been them. <clears throat> Am I going to betray you? Charles Spurgeon said this. I have a quote that starts with, reminds me. Yeah. He said, it reminds me of those of you who believe the gospel and still remain worldly, impenitent, which means no repentance of sins, prayerless. You fear the Lord and serve other gods. You are not infidels in name, which means you don't actually reject religion, but you are atheists in life. To you, there is urgent need to speak. The master turned round and spoke of, to those who were believers and yet not believers, holding with Jesus and yet really opposed to him. Ouch, right? I remember I used to have, uh, this was a time when, when like claiming Jesus around my circle of friends I remember so many conversations I had. One of the things they said, they were like, man, I thought you were a Christian. I'm not saying we don't mess up, but like it was, it was my life pattern. They would see the way I was living, what I believed, how I acted, how I spoke, how I reacted. They're like, dude, I thought you were a Christian. I was like, well, I am. It just didn't line up, right? I wanted to hold on to Jesus, but I was actually opposed to him. This is precisely why Jesus addresses true discipleship, true knowledge, and true freedom with his hearers, in particular with these Jews who had believed in him. As we can see in this context, this conversation at large, which continues through the rest of the chapter, their belief was actually limited. It was superficial. And we'll see that in a second, because you guys are going to be like, what? I thought they believed in Jesus. Watch what happens. <clears throat> But Jesus says, there's evidence in true belief. Like you true, truly believe, this will be evident in your life. All right? What does he say? Verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Now, this isn't conditional. It's not like, hey, man, if you keep abiding in my word, then you will be my disciples. That's not what he's saying. If there's evidence that you are actually abiding in the word of Christ, you are truly my disciples. I want you to know that distinction. True disciples of Jesus abide in his word. Believing and following Jesus cannot be separated from abiding in his word. And that's amazing that Jesus stops at this point in this conversation to like make it very clear to them. Because people are starting to believe something, and Jesus says, I just want you to know, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Not because you believe some things about me, or maybe believe some things that you've seen. Right? You guys with me? Yeah. <clears throat> Interesting thing about Jesus that you'll see, especially reading through the Gospels, Jesus was always talking about, I'm here to do the will of my Father. Whatever pleases the Father, that's what I want to do. Whatever the Father wants me to say, that's what I'm going to say. He wants me to speak the truth, that's what I'm going to speak. So Jesus was caught up in doing the will of the Father. 
Guess what, man? If you're caught up in Jesus, you're caught up in wanting to please Christ. You're caught up in wanting to speak what Jesus speaks. Right? It's our desire to do the same in Jesus. To abide means to remain, to continue in. The evidence that one is a true disciple of Jesus is a continuing perseverance in his word. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, not you will be. So question for you, man, like whose word are you abiding in? I'll even say this, like I've heard this a lot. I've been there. I still do it sometimes. How many of us find like, hey, we just follow our gut, right? We just do what we think is right in our own eyes, what the Bible speaks of. Man does what's right in his own eyes. And the end therein is death. Or, like, are we abiding in the words of what other people tell us? Are we listening to culture? Are we letting them shape what we abide in? The media, our friends. Loving obedience to Jesus' words is evidence of abiding. So if there's a loving obedience in you, you're like, man, I can't help it. I want to follow you, Jesus. Like there's evidence that, that you've been changed, you've been saved, you've been set free, you've been given life. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 6 says this. By this that we, sorry, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Again, like it's not keep his commandments and you know that you'll know him. It's like, hey, if you find that you're keeping his commandments, then you can know that you know him. You see the difference? Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And this is not obedience to be saved. This is not like adhering to the word so I can be saved. This is because I am saved. I can't help but to want to do what he's asking me to do. It's an overflow from being saved. I remember uh, there was a a point in my my own life. um, I was living back home with my folks. Jesus got a hold of my life. He started showing me what surrender meant. I started to understand this about abiding in him. I remember writing a letter to my parents because, man, I treated my parents horrible. If you looked up rebellion in the dictionary, like, it was me. You want to think it was you, but, like, I was there. I was the guy. Man, did I put my, my folks through some stuff. And I remember there was, a, there was a time when it was just that realization, like, I'm free in Christ. There was a, not just an urgency, but a longing to go and make that right with my parents. Like, I wanted to repent. I remember writing them a letter and sitting down at the table and like I read this letter to my parents that I never would have done. I could care less if I were ever with my family at one time. And yet I'm reading this letter and I'm bawling and I'm like, what's going on? (laughs) Because it was a desire to live out what Christ is asking me to do. Not out of forcefulness, 
When you carry Christ's yoke, man, it's, it's easy. That's what he said. My, my burdens are, uh, my commandments are not burdensome. They're light. Why would he say that? Because it's not you doing it. It's him in you. <clears throat> um, by the way, uh, I said this up front, I think. Uh, if you guys want to do this, this is a good thing to do when you go home. Um, John wrote another letter, uh, 1 John. He wrote the Gospel of John that we're in right now, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John epistles, and then he wrote Revelation. But if you go to 1st John, if you're like, man, I believe, I want to know that I'm saved, uh, that's why the book of 1st John is written. John does like a follow-up letter. He's like, hey, I wrote these things in 1st John, uh, 1st John chapter 5, verse 13. It says, so that those of you who believe, you may know that you have eternal life. You're like, oh, man, I need to read that after what Chris is throwing down this morning. I want to know that I'm saved. Go check out 1 John, right? It's like an evidence-filled book of true salvation. In an additional letter, uh, 2 John, John says this. Uh, I think this is 2 John 1.9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The NIV version says, anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ. New American Standard says, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ. Christ's word is not enough. John continues, whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Has the Father and the Son. Uh, J.C. Ryle says this. uh, Our Lord teach the the great principle that steady continuance is the only real and safe proof of discipleship. No perseverance, no grace. This is not earning grace. He's just saying there's evidence. If there's perseverance, then grace is present in your life. No continuance in the word, no real faith in conversion. So not only is a loving obedience to Jesus' word evidence of abiding, if there's a lack of loving obedience to Jesus' word, it's probably evidence of not abiding. Simply hearing or even being willing to hear Jesus' words does not necessarily point to true faith. This is crazy. I think I I read this one last time I was up here. Um, This is out of Matthew chapter 7. It's what Jesus speaks. And you're like, man, it's a harsh word. But it's a true word, and that's what I needed to be said. Check this out. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21. Not everyone, this is a judgment day. People are standing before Christ. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? We cast out demons in your name? Did we do mighty works in your name? Like there was some association. Like I, wasn't there some association with you? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In that same context of judgment one day, this 
reality of relationship with Jesus. He continues in that same um, passage, Matthew chapter 7. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. You know what that is? That's abiding. That's remaining. That's continuing in the words of Jesus. And then he says, and everyone who hears these words of mine. By the way, if you're present here this morning, raise your hand. (laughs) Uh, You are hearing these words. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came. The winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell, and great was it, was its fall. You know what that's a picture of? Not abiding. <clears throat> Let's have no doubt that the Pharisees, uh, who were also in this conversation, conversation in John chapter 8, they knew what was up with Jesus. That's why they were so upset with him. Remember he healed on the Sabbath? Jesus healed on the Sabbath. They were like, we want this guy dead. Like, they knew, they didn't have a doubt that Jesus could heal. They saw some things. They heard Jesus speaking. Like, they were totally aware. But you know what? They asked this rhetorical question in John chapter 7, verse 48. This, still at the Feast of Booths. Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? No. That's what they're getting at. Like, we've, we've seen it. Like, we're, we're not in. We've seen Jesus, like we've heard him, but like we're against him. We're opposed to him. Um, <clears throat> John chapter 6, this happened. This was post uh, the same time that Jesus was feeding the 5,000 with the five loaves and the two fish. Jesus was still speaking about the kingdom of God. In uh, chapter 6, verse 66, do I have that there? No. It says, uh, many of his disciples turned back. And followed him no longer. What's going on? Many of his disciples who were following Jesus, when they heard some things that Jesus was saying, and they didn't agree with him or they didn't get it, and they're like, I don't, I'm not a part of that. They no longer followed him. And in the same conversation, Jesus was like turning to his other disciples. He said, Hey, are you guys gonna leave too? Are you going away? And Peter was like, You're the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Like, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the word. We're sticking around because you have the words of eternal life. Whether we're uncomfortable sometimes with how you say it or what you say, like, we're on board. Jesus, you are Lord, authority. Uh, even Peter, man, um, what did Peter do right before Christ's crucifixion? What did he do toward Jesus? Anybody remember that? Before the rooster crowed? What's up? Deny him. Yeah, denied him. That was Peter. Peter, the same guy who's, who was like, we're not going anywhere. Uh, you got the words of eternal life. And like Peter ends up denying him. But here's what's awesome. Jesus wasn't surprised at that. Jesus told him ahead of time. He was like, hey, Peter, uh, when you turn again, because you will, you're going to turn back to me. That's called perseverance, by the way. 
When you turn again, strengthen your brothers. Peter was in. Even when Peter denied, he was in. Jesus knew it was going to happen. It was real faith. It was perseverance because Jesus said, when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. Peter ends up giving his life, right, for Christ. He dies for him. Uh, J.C. Ryle um, says this also. The extent to which men may be intellectually convinced of the truth of religion and know their duty while their hearts are unrenewed and they continue in sin is one of the most painful phenomena in the history of human nature. Let us never be content with believing things to be true without a personal laying hold on the living person, Christ Jesus, and actually, actually following him. A lot of people knew who Jesus was. A lot of people who were there when Jesus did his healings and they heard him talk about the kingdom of God. A lot of people were present. But there's a danger of false belief. And there's evidence of true belief. Um, sometimes there's just absolutely no belief. Uh, there's intentional suppression. Romans chapter 1, it says that people, it's like verse 18 or so, it says people suppress the truth by their own unrighteousness. They hold back, hold down truth. And it says they exchange the, exchange the truth about God for a lie. So you can hear it. You can actually exchange the truth about God for a lie because you want to believe what you want to believe. Again, man does what's right in his own eyes. Sometimes it's just easier. You're like, oh, this is how I feel. About 90% of other people feel the same way, so that's got to be right, right? <laughs> uh, Paul said to some Jews in Acts chapter 13, he said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside. You thrust aside the word of God. It's being spoken, but you're like, no. You judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. So there can be a suppression of God's truth. There can be a thrusting aside of God's truth. If that can happen then, that can happen now. That can happen this morning. Man, I don't want to say it, but somebody is probably leaving here today not saved, not set free. Suppressing the truth. <clears throat> um, back to our actual story in John 8. There's a lot of ground to cover, but I just wanted you to, to see that. These Jews who Jesus was speaking to, um, to the Jews who believed him, likely they believed that he was sent from above because that's the conversation. That's what the conversation was about. Jesus was like, I'm from the Father. I'm from above. You're from below. People were like, oh, okay, I, I believe that. But it's going to be revealed in the same conversation that we're not actually a part of Jesus and his words were not actually a part of them. Check out, uh, I don't know that I have this up there, so uh, if you can look at John 8, 37, same group of people. Jesus says, I know that you're uh, offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Wait a minute, Jesus, I thought you said they believed. They believed something. 
But then he says, your words have no place, or my words have no place in you. Then he says, it gets even crazier, verse 43, why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Crazy, right? He's talking to Jews who believed him, and yet he's saying, he say, my words have no place in you. You don't believe the truth, what I'm, what I'm telling you. Like, you believe some things, but you, you're not hearing me. I tell you the truth. If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Some faith is present to believe Jesus. But then they end up, the same group of people, chapter 8, verse 58, 59, said they picked up stones to throw at him. Man, I was going to be rejoicing up front. We hit verse 30 and 31, and I was like, oh, man, these people believe. Yes, right? There's rejoicing. And like, when Jesus goes in and he wants their life, he wants their faith, he wants their full commitment and surrender, what Jesus says goes, and like these guys are like, no, and not only no, but I'm hostile towards you now. Like, they want to stone him. Um, do you guys watch the Super Bowl? Uh, I, I got to be honest with you, like, I didn't even know who was playing until Philip told me not quite a week before. <laughs> so um, Chris and I watched zero games from anybody this whole year. And I think I only watched half the Super Bowl. So I'm pretty good, man. I'm in there. Um, but I think we like Carolina Panthers. <laughs> We're from North Carolina. I have a hoodie. My wife got me a hat. It's a special hat. I like it. I want to be a fan, and legit, I think we tried to do this a couple of times where we actually, I think, was it Sunday afternoons, we'd make some wings, some french fries, and like, we kicked it out for about two or three weeks straight back to back, and then that was it. Like, we tried. We wanted to be fans. I wanted to cheer for somebody. I wanted to feel like mopey when somebody lost, but like, (laughs) we couldn't. We didn't know. It was like, oh, did they lose? ah, That's terrible. Aw. (laughs) <laughs> we wanted to be a fan. Um, <clears throat> for those of you who say, I like the idea of Jesus. I like what he offers. And they could say, I really could see myself in relationship with him, yet it's only a fan from a distance. One who has to admittedly say, I really don't know him. I really don't follow him. I don't find myself giving him praise or like it doesn't matter to me much when he's, he's not made much of. What does it look like to abide? 
Uh, I, uh, I don't know if you guys knew this. You don't because of the illustration I'm about to give you would point that out. But like, I, uh, I would like to do animation. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a thing. But here's the thing. I've talked to, to Kristen about it so much, she, she probably gets tired of hearing it. Like, I want to do animation. Like, that would be super cool to do some Pixar kind of stuff. And, uh, but I never did anything about it. I would always talk about it. And uh, she actually bought me, or not bought, I think she downloaded some kind of software for me to use. I didn't discipline myself to do that. <laughs> no way. Um, <clears throat> I like it, but I didn't really do anything about it. Uh, there's a bunch of you in here who like to ski. How many of you guys like to ski? <laughs> you rascals. <laughs> I like to ski, but we haven't skied since we've been here. and It's been six plus years. And I know we're a broken record on that, right, Philip? Like, we're always like, oh, yeah, we want to ski. We'll be skiing sometime. And, like, we just never do it. <laughs> we always talk about it. <clears throat> we never make a plan. And I feel like that's how it is sometimes when we talk about Jesus. Like, it's good from a distance. We know it's something I want to do. Like, I know it's right to follow Jesus. There's no life apart from him, but I'll get to him one day. And there's no actual evidence that I've been following Jesus. There's no actual evidence that I've been abiding in his word. Um, Spurgeon, he says something on what it looks like for someone to abide in Jesus. Um, He said, faith... If you have faith, you have true faith, it throbs in the man's pulse. It looks out from his eyes. It tunes his voice. It lights up his countenance. It rules his house and controls his business. The man lives for Jesus, and if it were necessary, he would die for him. Blessed is he who makes his master's service his pleasure, his Lord's law his delight, his Savior's glory the absorbing occupation of his time, He is a disciple indeed. Man, consumed with Jesus and consumed by Jesus. He goes on to say, beware of that faith, which is a mere intellectual movement, which does not control the heart and the life. To come to faith through a cold argument and to fill no spiritual life is but a poor business. You want a faith that leads you to an entire reliance upon the person of Jesus, to the giving up of everything to him, to the reception of him as your savior and king, your all in all. You have not believed into eternal life unless you have believed or have so believed on him that you make him the foundation and cornerstone of your hope. He also says, what he bids you, do it. Let your life be affected by the truth he teaches. Let your whole mind and thought and desire and speech and bearing and conversation be colored and savored by your full faith in Jesus. I love this. Enter into his word as a man into a stream and live therein as a fish in the water. I've said this before too, but because it always amazes me when I walk through, I think it's in Luke, but it's like people were captivated so much by Jesus, they were hanging on his every word. I was like, man, is his voice doing that for me? I'm like, man, I want to hear Jesus above anyone else. Or what voice am I listening to? 
So that's the danger of false faith, the evidence of true belief, and then the condition of true belief. True belief. Jesus said, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. And they answered him, well, we're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. There is true knowledge in true belief. Jesus said, you will know the truth. Here's the things that the Bible says about itself, about what Jesus' word is. The word is truth. The word is truth. Jesus prays to the Father, John 17, 17. He says, Father, sanctify these disciples of mine. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Psalm 119, 160 says that the sum of your word, the entirety of your word is truth. Also, the truth is in Jesus. Jesus is the truth, and Jesus testifies to the truth. Ephesians 4.21 says that the truth is in Jesus. John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. When Jesus is standing before Pilate in John 18, Pilate says to him, so you're a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. John 15 and 16, talking about the Holy Spirit. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. So there's true knowledge and true belief. If it's a genuine faith, your condition is you will have true knowledge. There's true freedom and true belief and bondage to sin without it. The truth will set you free. They answered him, we're offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? They thought they were free. They were like, wait a minute. How are you saying that I will become free? Like, we've never been enslaved to anyone, which is a trip, right? Physically speaking, uh, <laughs> these guys were uh, slaves in Egypt for what, 400 plus years, right? I, obviously, I don't, I don't know these guys were talking about being a slave that way. Who, who was ruling over them in this very moment that uh, this is happening, this context? They're, they're, they're being ruled by Rome, right? Um, so, so that's not the in slavery that Jesus is talking about. And I don't even think that's what these guys are talking about. Jesus was not speaking about outward, external freedom from slavery as these Jews were quick to conclude but rather freedom from the bondage of sin and death. Uh, you guys ever played Bop It before? Who played Bop It? Anybody? Uh, twist it, pull it, spin it, Bop It. Uh, we busted this out of our uh, game closet the other day, and our boys were like, oh! <laughs> right, baby? Um, it's half broke now, so it was fun to watch them play it. <clears throat> um, but yeah, they're over there twisting and pulling and all that stuff, and like, I don't know if you remember, I don't know if they all say this, but ours did anyway. The first thing it would say was like, you win, not 
You remember that? <laughs> you win. Not, but they would never hear it. They would always hear you win and like, yay, <laughs> we're celebrating. I'm like, no, you didn't. Not, this is what this reminds me with these guys in conversation with Jesus. Like, they would, you ever heard that phrase, people hear what they want to hear? Right? Guilty. We hear what we want to hear. Like, these people hear what they want to hear. Do you know Jesus told them earlier, he was like, uh, if I go away, what, let me not get it wrong here. If I go away, you're going to seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And they were like, where are you going? They didn't hear like, you will die in your sin. What they heard was, he's leaving. It's like selective hearing, right? You hear what you want to hear? Uh, Jesus just told them, he's like, hey man, like, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. And how do they respond? <laughs> What'd you say now uh, about being free? Like, We've always been free. Like, <clears throat> they heard what they, they wanted to hear. They, uh, they listened to part of it where he spoke of, or they missed it, where he spoke about abiding in his word, being a true disciple, knowing truth. They were claiming they were already free, so they were quick to go to that one point that they wanted to pick out. We don't ever do that with Jesus' word, by the way. We don't ever just pick out what we want to hear Jesus say and run with it, all right? Only these guys are guilty of that, not us, right? <clears throat> these Jews claim our status, our standing with God is because of our relationship to Abraham. Our freedom's never been an issue. Jesus had already told them during the Feast of Booths, he was like, hey, uh, you guys who are holding on to God's word, the law, like, none of you are actually keeping it. You're all guilty, um, <clears throat> unless you believe that I'm he, you will die in your sins. All guilty will die in your sins. Freedom from the bondage of sin and death is what De Jesus was talking about. Your self-righteousness is not going to save you. Do you guys know that sin bounds? Sin binds you? Now, when Jesus says this here, it's talking about a habitual sin because all of us are like, oh, shoot, man, like, I, I sin. Am I enslaved to sin? First uh, John says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or knows him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Oh, shoot. Well, let's wrap it up, guys. We're all guilty. See you later. All right? You're like, oh, man, is that me? Like, is John talking about me? Because I find myself where I still sin. He's talking about habitual sin. Remember when I said earlier about my parents where I felt like I really had to repent? There's something happens as an evidence of true belief. And there's a condition. Like, we begin to disdain sin. Our hearts turn against sin. So though we may find that we sin, the habitual condition of sinning is going to change because he cannot leave us there. And there's a change from the inside out.
So if you hear me this morning saying, ah, shoot, man, like, I, I had sinned, so I'm still in sin and I'm not set free, that's, that's not what he's saying. If the pattern is a habitual sin, and that makes no difference to you, it's a possibility you're not born of God. There's no relationship. Or your own efforts in keeping the law or being self-righteous or I can get myself out of this or like I can outweigh my bad with good. Your efforts in keeping the law, but you fail to keep the law. You are outwardly practicing but internally broken. This is not that we will not sin, but we'll have a disdain um, because we abide in Jesus and his word abides in us. I don't know that this was the attitude of these Jews when Jesus says, like, um, whoever abides in me, like, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. And they're like, how can you say we'll become free? I don't know that they were like, don't tell me I'm not free. Don't tell me I'm going to die in my sins. But I can almost bet, because I've heard it personally, like, if I tell someone that, no one wants to hear that. No one wants to hear, like, I'm not free or that I'm dying in my sins. Like, hold on, like, don't, don't tell me I'm gonna die in my sins. Don't even tell me I'm a sinner. Don't tell me I'm not free. We need to hear that. Jesus cares about that. There's, there's an eternal effect because of that. <clears throat> uh, J.C. Ryle said this, teach abstract doctrines only, and a few will find any fault. In other words, what if I was like, the only thing we ever said to each other was like, be kind, be tenderhearted. You're like, oh, that's cool. Um, how about the golden rule? Like, do to someone what you want them to do to you. You're like, that sounds pretty good. Like, I can get behind that. But then he said, denounce the fashionable sins of the day and call on men to actually repent and walk consistently with God and thousands at once will be offended. Man, I don't want us to be offended. I want us to run to his forgiveness. There's promise of true belief. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. We're close to wrapping up, guys, so I'm long-winded. Everybody knows this. Um, The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I'm about to give you some great promises that I hope you are a part of. If not, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Ephesians 1.5 from the New Living Translation says this, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. God decided to adopt us into his family. Jesus said, if, you're, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. We're all in the same boat for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And yet he does something about it. He wants to adopt us into his family. John 1.12 To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Revelation 1.5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, 
to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. I wanted to stop here for a minute because when I read this, I was like, oh man, that's good. You guys know the song, Jesus Loves Me? Yeah? You might know that Jesus loves you. Yeah, we should sing it. You might want to leave. No. Um, I had to question that for a second. I hope some things, like when we sing, we're singing truth. Like they, they bring that for a reason, what we sing together. If there's anything that doesn't line up with the word of God, like we don't want to be singing it, right? Uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Does the Bible say that? I know we can say like Jesus is God and God loves the world. He, he sent his son into the world, right? Uh, but this is, I love Revelation 1.5. He who loves us. So I want you to hear this this morning because I, I feel like the, a large portion of that first one was like, oh man, like you're making me doubt my faith. Like I want you to hear this morning, like Jesus loves you. There was a moment where I was able to just be still and think about those words and nothing else. Dude, that's awesome. I don't deserve to be loved. I have sinned against the holy God. I deserve his judgment, and yet he loves me. He loves me. He loves me to the point of wanting to free me from my sins by his blood. Point of the cross, right? So, man, I, I want you to hear this morning, like, Jesus loves you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are not condemned. You are loved in Jesus. Okay? <clears throat> John eight fifty one. truly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Woo! All right? Never see death. 1 John chapter 5, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. So whom the son sets free is free indeed completely and free forever. So if this morning you're like, man, I have believed some things about Jesus, you, you kind of hit on some points where I believe some things that he said, I believe some things that he did, but man, like the evidence is, is not there. Like I'm asking you to go before the Lord and seek him. Um, I know from the rest of his word that we can't stir this up in ourselves. And so that's why we've been praying continually as a church. Um, Jesus says that no one comes to him unless the Father draws him. So like, I have been praying, and I want to pray that the Father would be drawing someone this morning. It used to be, man, like, you, you guys ever been into an old school traditional church that had actual pews, right? It's almost the same, where you can, like, stand up singing a song and we're like really wanting you to pray and respond and like you're gripping the chair or the pew in front of you like you can't help it there's something happening internally like God's spirit is at work to cause you to move and to believe and to repent if that's you this morning I'm asking you like not to run away from that but to run to, to Jesus yeah 
Run to Jesus. Be saved. Be set free. Don't want to see anyone die in their sins. I don't want to see anyone have a superficial faith, including myself, where I talk about Jesus, but I'm not leaning into him. So this morning, can you be like that father who had that demon-possessed son? He was like, man, I believe, but help my unbelief. If there's something in me where I unbelieve, like, consume me, Lord. Consume me. Like, you have authority. You say what you want to say in my life. My life is yours. I'm tired of ruling this thing because there is no freedom in that. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. When the sun sets free, it's free indeed. My encouragement is don't pretend to be free and actually be a slave to sin. Be free and be free indeed. Okay? Um, Joe, could you come up for me, bud? Thank you, man. I'm going to keep things as is, by the way, to those of you I talked to about it. So... Um, I want to ask you some questions uh, again as, as some music's playing in the background. Just as a time of response. We're not trying to manipulate you when we do this. This is just an intentional pause, okay? It's what we're talking about a lot as intentional pauses where you have a busy life. I have a busy life. You don't often give yourself time to think probably like I do. And you're like, man, we need this time of reflection, Are you in danger of false faith this morning? Have you believed some things about Jesus, but his word actually has no root in you? Have you chosen what you will believe and what you won't believe? Is there evidence, and by the way, person who believes, like truly believes, this is uh, Acts chapter 11, person who truly believes turns to the Lord. Wow. person who truly believes, they turn to the Lord. They're like, I, I, I give up. I give up. So this morning, if, if that's you, you're like, man, I need to give up. <clears throat> is there evidence? Do you see evidence of your own life of true belief? Do you find yourself abiding in Jesus' words? Persevering, continuing through trial, through hardship, through what the culture says. Man, I want Jesus' words. He's Lord. I want what he says. I'm continuing in what he says. I'm persevering in what he says. I don't know what next week is going to bring. The world could collapse around me, but man, I'm following Jesus. I have his word. Is there loving evidence or is there evidence of loving obedience to his word because of an already genuine surrender to Jesus? Do you recognize your condition as either a slave to sin or one who's been set free in Jesus? Slave to sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth's not in us. If we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we, have, if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. But man, if we confess, like he's, love it. 
We are all slaves. We've all sinned. Jesus is the son who has never sinned. We have access into the house forever because of Jesus. You will either die in your sins or by faith trust in Jesus, that he himself bore your sins in his body on the cross that you might die to sin and live for righteousness. Uh, there's a guy named uh, Greg Laurie. He made a very simple statement one time, but he was like, uh, if you, oh gosh, I'm gonna mess it up here. I'm gonna mess it up. So I'm not gonna say what George, uh, Greg said. It doesn't matter. <laughs> if you are dead, then you will die. If you are alive, you will live. That's what he said. <laughs> he says, if you, if, uh, if you were born once, you die twice. If you were born twice, you die once. What he meant by that, we're all here. We're, we've all physically been born. But if you're born again, and once you see death at the end of this life, man, that's the only death you'll see. And you'll live forever with Jesus. But he says if, if, if you're born twice, like you're born and then born again, like you're, you're going to live forever. But if, if you die without being born again, the Bible says there will be a second death. And that's complete separation from God for eternity. So this morning, if you've only been physically born and like you're here, you're like, I'm present. But if you've never been born again, like there's a condition there. You've been set free. You're free forever. For those of you who are like, man, I see that evidence. I'm like, what are you trying to say this morning? Like, are you able to rejoice in the promise of eternal life? Are you able to rejoice in the fact that you have eternal freedom? Our relationship with God was broken and sin was our master. Now in Jesus, our relationship with God has been reconciled and our relationship to sin broken. So I say this to you, like, man, if there's something you're struggling with, sin is not your master. If you're in Christ, Jesus is. Whatever you're facing this morning, if you're like, dude, I, I, I have been struggling with this and I know Jesus is better. Jesus is all powerful. Then bring that to him this morning. I'll end, I don't know if I said I'll end it yet, but I am this time, seriously. Romans chapter six, 17 and 18. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness. Whoa, you didn't buy that. You didn't earn that. <laughs> he gave that to us, man. So thanks be to God. A couple of places you're at this morning. We're going to move into a time of communion, though, but I don't want you to fail to think through those things, okay? Because we're going to have a time where we're going to pray together in a moment. So, like, if you need to battle those things out, if you need to pray where you're at, we're going to have a prayer team up here later. But if you want to pray where you're at, think through those things. Like, man, don't come here. I'm speaking to myself, too. Don't come here just to meet and leave. We're fellowshipping with one another, but, man, we're meeting with the Lord, right? So as we move into a, a time of communion together, I'm going to give some instructions of what this time is about. What's communion? 
Communion is a corporate meal instituted by Jesus as a means of grace and to remember Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection that purchased our salvation. The grace we receive is presently experienced through our present fellowship with the Lord. These elements, the bread, the juice, they point to the truth of the gospel and to fellowship with Jesus. Without the broken body of Jesus, without him taking our sins in his body on the cross, without the shedding of his blood, offering forgiveness through faith, there would be no freedom. There would only be bondage to sin. There would only be eternal destruction. So when we're partaking of that this morning, I want you to remember that, man, there is true freedom in Jesus. Because it is more than a memorial, it is participation in fellowship with Jesus. The Bible says that he brings discipline or judgment upon those who take it unworthily and blessing to those who take it in faith. So who is communion for? Communion is for Christians, those who have forsaken sin and trusted in Jesus for salvation. So if you're not a Christian this morning, we, we welcome you, but we just ask that you don't participate in this meal, but continue to think through these things that we discussed this morning. If our communion servers would come up, I'm gonna read a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim my death until I come. Let's pray together, guys. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you purchased our freedom with your life. Lord, thank you that you came to set us free. Lord, you came to bring truth so, Lord, I pray this morning, if, if we're leaning on anything else, any other word, you'll show us that this morning, Lord. If we're leaning on our own self-righteousness, Lord, if we're actually enslaved to sin, Lord, and not set free, would you show us that this morning? Thank you for a chance to be able to celebrate by partaking in communion with one another to remind each other that Jesus' body was broken. Our sins were placed on him at the cross. His blood was shed to offer forgiveness and we are made clean. So Lord, I pray that you would grip someone's heart this morning. If there's someone here who doesn't know you, Jesus, that this morning, today would be their day of salvation, Lord. Turn them to you, Jesus, to have faith and repent. Help us to celebrate even now. In Jesus' name.